0: 33, I think that most of us could quote it. Hopefully, hopefully most of us can quote it. This is one of those verses you ought to know. It's one of those verses you really ought to know. Amen. Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. We're going to pray tonight that the Lord will help us, that he'll talk to us in this place. I want to also ask that we would pray tonight, Sister Rebecca is sick, and we want to pray that God would touch her. Also, very, very, I feel, urgent need that I want to ask this church to really help me touch God over. Um, I received a text From Brother Robert Davis on Saturday. And uh, he has a problem with one of the discs in his back. And it is uh, pinching the nerve that runs down his leg. He said from his knee down is numb all the time. And he is in pain almost constantly. He said he cannot stand more than five to ten minutes at a time. He is seeing a chiropractor to try to fix it. The chiropractor said, if we don't get it fixed within three weeks, then I've got to stop seeing you. Um, And uh, you need to see a surgeon. He tried to call a surgeon. He can't get in to see the surgeon until April 24th. That is after our anniversary service. He said, I am just trying to give you a heads up now. I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it unless God performs a miracle. Well, we know a God that's been performing miracles, and I want to ask this church to join with me in prayer that God would heal Brother Davis. I told him, I said, your voice is important to me, and it's important to this church, and um, we're just going to believe God that God is going to touch and heal you. Praise God. Amen. So let's pray tonight for Sister Rebecca, and let's also pray for Brother Davis, and let's pray for the remainder of this service. Can we do that, everybody? Let's lift our voices to the Lord right now. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. And we appreciate you so very, very much. God, I ask you, Lord, that you would hear my cry to me. I ask you, God, that you would touch Rebecca. I ask God, to bring complete healing to her life. Lord, I also pray, God, for the. David. God, he's been faithful. He's prayed for many and seen and healed. God through the laying on of his hands. I'm asking you now, God, that you would honor the prayer of this church and heal this good man of God. Lord, that we might be able to hear his voice. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask God that you would do it, that you might receive the glory and the honor, Lord, in all of this. We praise you, for of this service speak to us I pray in Jesus name in Jesus name let's worship the Lord everybody let's thank God for doing it let's give God praise by faith for taking care of the problem hallelujah praise God praise God amen God bless you you may be seated Um, Matthew 6 and 33 familiar familiar verse of scripture and um, as I said, I think that most of us can quote it. If we can't quote it, we can probably get pretty close. Uh, we, we know it. We're familiar with it. It's one of those verses that is perhaps one of the most well-known uh, in the New Testament. And yet, I really wonder how much we really obey Matthew 6.33. In fact, I wonder how much we really even understand Matthew 6 and 33. There are some very important principles that are stated in this verse that we need to grasp, we need to get a hold of. And and the first, uh, that is the, the, the most important thing based on this verse, ought to be the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek ye first. Seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, that's not, a, that's not a separate thing because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is, it's what? It's what? So you seek you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's a package deal. That's, that's not two separate things. The kingdom of God's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God, you are seeking first the kingdom of God. Not, 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 the answer to our financial needs, that shouldn't be first. I I, want to be very careful here tonight. I'm going to tell you, I've seen many, many, many people destroy their walk with God because their number one priority was a better job or more money. And they never stopped to think about how it would affect the kingdom of God. Well, hallelujah. We ought to consider the kingdom of God above everything else. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. Put, Put that verse back up here. Let's just keep it up here for a little while. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's before the job opportunity that's before the nicer house that's before the better car that's before family relationships Jesus said seek ye now we, we can't we can't make excuses to try to get around what Jesus plainly told us. He said the first thing on our list of priorities ought to be God's kingdom.
1: God's kingdom. That ought to be number one. Well,
0: now, something else I want you to notice. When when, when we use the word first, it generally implies that there is a second, right? I mean, we ran a Christian school here for several years, and, you know, it was kind of a joke, a standing joke. If we only had one graduate, we say they came in first in their class. Of course, you could also say they came in last, right? They were the average student. I mean, all those things apply when you're the only student in your class. But normally when you use the word first, there is an implication that's made. And that is that there is something that's second. There's something that's going to come after, number one. But I want you to look at what Jesus said. He didn't say seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and second, seek these things. The interesting thing about this is Jesus never gave us a second. In other words, what Jesus said was there is one thing and one thing only that ought to be paramount in our lives, and that's the kingdom of God. The work of the kingdom, that ought to be number one. That ought to be more important than anything else. In fact, everything else we ought to just leave in God's hands and let him work it out. But our perspective, our perspective has got to be the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. He said, if you'll seek my kingdom, I'll take care of the things. If, if, look, if God's not taking care of the things in your life, maybe you need to re-examine your focus. Maybe you need to reconsider whether his kingdom is really number one. Well, hallelujah. I know you want me to get to Africa, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. It takes a while. It's a 16-hour flight. We're going to get to Africa, all right? But stay with me for a few minutes. It's important that we understand that God wants a transformation in our focus. I'm telling you. Look, one of the things I have to deal with in Africa all the time is I I try to teach them something. But our culture is, but our culture is, I'm going to tell you, Americans deal with the same thing. We just don't say it as often because we have a culture too. And it's a culture of comfort. It's a culture of
1: ease. It's a culture of possessions. It's a culture of name brands.
0: Well, but I'm telling you, God wants us, and this is what I told the Africans, and I'm telling you as well, that God wants us to realize that there is a higher culture that we need to be a part of because we're really not citizens of this country. We are citizens of another country, and we need to get the kingdom culture. And the kingdom culture is that the kingdom of God is more important to me than anything else. Anything else. That's right. I'm telling you, when we get a kingdom culture, when we get a kingdom mindset, it changes the way we think about everything. Before we go in debt, For some new car or some new... We stop and think now, is this going to affect the way I can give to the kingdom of God? Am I going to have to work more hours and miss more church? How is this going to affect the kingdom? Are you hearing me? We've got to have a transformation in our mindset. The kingdom of God. Well... Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom
1: of God. Hallelujah. And then all of these things,
0: everything else. God said, I'll take care of the rest. If you'll get a kingdom mindset, if you'll get a kingdom perspective, I'll take care of everything else. I'll put it all in place. But you need to be looking out for my kingdom. Oh, I could, I could get really, really bogged down right here. Even our relationships with one another, the reason we can have, we can have enmity between our brother or our sister is because we don't have a kingdom perspective. We're thinking about how we feel, our feelings, what they said, how they hurt us, what they did against us. That's what we're thinking. We're not thinking that as long as I have this in my heart against you, I'm affecting the kingdom of God. And it would be better for me to make things right with you and just take the, the short end of the stick, but let the kingdom of God go forward than it is for me to prove that I'm right and sever my brother from the kingdom. All right, where'd you go? Where'd you go? It's the truth. It would be better. It would be better to just forgive. Get it under the blood. Put it on the altar. Well, you don't know how bad they did me. Doesn't matter. You did Jesus worse. That's
1: right, you did. And he forgave you.
0: All right, I didn't intend to go into all that. But anyhow, we've got to get a kingdom mindset. We've got, in fact, in fact, I know Josh is going to ask me, what's the title, what's the title? Are you listening? Are you ready to write it down? Seeing the big picture. All right, that's the title. So just want to make sure he gets it because sometimes I've announced it and he didn't get it. So we're making sure we get it right. Everybody's a witness that I told him what the title is. Now, if it's not right, you're in trouble. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Now, now look, we, we, we've got to get a kingdom mindset. I want to show you something. We know, we know about the great revival that, that began in the book of Acts. But I want to show you something about this revival for just a few minutes. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. But you shall receive power. You'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, now he's promising the power of the Holy Ghost, and what's the very next thing he says? And ye shall be witnesses. And you'll be witnesses unto me, both both in Jerusalem, in in Judea, in Judea, and in Samaria, Samaria, and the uttermost uttermost parts parts of the earth. All right, get this. As soon as he said, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Ghost, the very next words out of his mouth were, you've got to go to Jerusalem, you've got to go to Judea, you've got to go to Samaria, you've got to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, Mark, you know, with, 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 with these gospels, they, they record it perhaps a little differently, but it's the same message. Mark says it this way in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them And he said unto them go ye into all the world into, Go ye
1: into all
0: Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel And preach the gospel to every creature Now look at this look at this he did not say go into Jerusalem and preach the gospel to every Jew He said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature this was their mandate. This was their command. So we've talked about, we've talked about how 500 saw him on the mount as he ascended into heaven. And only 120 went to Jerusalem. We're thankful for that 120 that went into Jerusalem. 120 are there praying until the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Ghost fell on them. They received the Holy Ghost just like Jesus promised Peter stood up and preached, and when it got through, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Now, friend, that's a revival. I don't know how you define revival, but that's a revival. 3,000 added to the church. They went from 120 to 3,120 in just a few short hours. That's a revival. And it didn't stop there. Because it's just a matter of days until 5,000 are added to the church.
1: And they go from 3,000, they add another 5,000, that's 8,000. And then the next time it records it, it just says multitudes, both of men and of women were added. Are you with me? Thousands, tens of thousands being added to what a revival they're having. But listen to me. It was all in Jerusalem. All of it, all of it, was in Jerusalem. That's the only place they're having revival. It's it's localized. It's right there. Their eyes are on their local church, and that's it. And yet Jesus didn't come to establish a local church. Are you hearing me tonight? Jesus didn't come to establish a local church. When he told them, I'm going to give you power, he said, take that power into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. He told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not a local church. It's a bigger picture than that.
0: They're happy having revival. They're happy praying people through. As long as we're having revival in Jerusalem, what do we got to worry about? Well, I'll tell you what you got to worry
1: about. There's a bigger picture that you're missing. There's something bigger than Jerusalem.
0: So you know what God did? God fixed the problem. Acts chapter 8. Verse number one, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Uh huh. And at that time, there at that great, time, there was a great persecution. A great persecution against the church. Against the church, which was, at Jerusalem. which was all right. That's that's where the church is. That's all there is. That's all there is. Is it's wonderful. It's into the thousands in members, but it's all in Jerusalem. That's. Where it's at, and all of a sudden, there's persecution against that church that one big, huge church. Somebody said it mega church. That's uh, there's persecution against that original mega church, thousands of members, but persecution hits against the church which was at Jerusalem. And what happened? And they were all scattered and abroad. they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions throughout of. Judea. Where did Jesus tell them to go? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where did he tell them to go? He said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and what? Judea. What's the second one listed here? America. Now you change, don't change the verse. Let's not tell you to change the verse. Get back to where we
1: are. You're going to mess me up. Look at this. Here's what he said. The church which was at Jerusalem and then they're scattered into And what did he say in Acts 1 and 8? Don't change the verse. We're still on this
0: one. Acts 1 and 8, what did he say? He said, you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Don't you see it's going in the exact order? This is what Jesus wanted all along. Because what did they do when they were scattered? Verse 4 in chapter 8, read. Therefore, they they, that were scattered abroad abroad, went everywhere everywhere, doing what Jesus
1: told them to do in the beginning. I'm going to tell you, when Jesus came to this earth and paid the ultimate price, it wasn't so there could be one church in Olathe, Kansas, but he had something much bigger in his mind and in his heart. There's a church that's got to be spread around this world.
0: Hallelujah. The Disciples. the Disciples were having great revival. And it's easy to just get caught up. Let's just keep having good church here. Let's just keep praying people through here. But that was not the plan of God. That they keep their eyes focused on their local assembly. So he said, if I've got to, I'll take care of this. Now you hear me, he could have stopped the persecution. He could have given every one of those persecutors the same vision he gave Saul of Tarsus. He could have stopped it dead in his tracks. But he was allowing it to happen because it was accomplishing his purpose. I don't want God to have to send persecution to get us to
1: see that there's a bigger job to be done than just this city. The problem was the disciples were happy with a very limited kingdom that had been established in their own hometown, but God was wanting a universal kingdom in every town.
0: Well, hallelujah! Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. We've talked about this. Uh, we're going to talk about it again and again and again. But but read Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Said no vision where there said, is no vision. Where there is no vision where there is no vision. Come on. We, we, we're, we're too short-sighted. We, we, we're too short-sighted. All we're looking at is, is this picture. All we're looking at is where we are right now and what's going on right here. And listen, I'm thankful to God for what's going on right here. But we got to understand God's ultimate goal is
1: not to fill up the church in Olathe. Yeah, that's part of his goal, but that's not the ultimate goal. God has got a kingdom perspective, not a church perspective, not an assembly perspective, not a city perspective, not a state perspective, not even a continent perspective.
0: God's got a kingdom perspective. Hallelujah. You, you, you've heard me tell about my my visit to uh, Zimbabwe in 2013, and, and uh, you may not remember. This part of the story, but but that Saturday when we went, 2013, June of 2013, we went and baptized those fifty plus people in the name of Jesus that day. When when we finished baptizing them, we were still standing at the side of that city pool uh, that we had used, and 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 Pastor Charles Ndiraya came up to me and he looked at me and he said he said Pastor Riggin, he said yeah, your vision. For us to be baptized in Jesus' name has now been fulfilled. He said, But what is your vision going forward? And, and honestly, I at, at the time it, it, it just it kind of stumped me. It kind of uh, kind of knocked the wind out of my sails because I gotta be honest, I I didn't have a vision going forward. I, I hadn't thought that far ahead. You know, my my only point of reference was when I had gone in two thousand one and all that had fallen apart. That that was all I that's the only thing I could I could connect this to and I, I really hadn't even thought what will happen if they really accept this and this thing explodes. I'm just being honest with you. I hadn't thought that far ahead. What are we gonna do from here? I hadn't thought about it. And and it just it, it was like somebody punched me in the gut. So I thought, you know That's an excellent question, and I should have had an answer to it. I should have had a vision going forward. I should have had a thought as to where do we go from here. I didn't. I didn't. But I do now. I do now. I've got a vision. I've got a vision. I shared that vision with them while I was with them uh, last week. I, I, I shared or the week before. I, I shared that vision with them. I talked to them about what I see, what, what I see, what I believe God is wanting to do. But I also asked them. I told them that story. And I asked them, I said, but now I've got to turn the tables and ask you, what is your vision going forward? Because it doesn't really matter what my vision is. I can't change the continent of Africa. I can't change it making four or five trips a year. I'm not going to be able to do it. So the question is, what is your vision going forward? What are you see? Are you seeing just your local church? All right, we've accepted the truth. Thank God we've got the truth. Thank God we've been baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God we know there's only one God. And now you're content. Or do you have a vision that you've got to reach this continent with this message? This is what I felt this afternoon was that I needed to stand here in this church and ask this congregation
1: the very same question. I've got a vision. I think I made it clear to you what my vision is. My question is what's your vision
0: going forward? Are you focused only on this assembly? Is your eye only
1: on this crowd? Is your eye only on this building? Or can you see something bigger that is erupting from this place? Can you see yourself as a part of a movement that God is trying to establish? Come on church, I feel this tonight. Are you thrilled that God's been performing miracles? Are you thrilled that God's been healing people, and yet all you want to do is come here and see our people healed again and again and again? Or are you seeing something bigger? Can you see something that is bigger than yourself, and bigger than this city, and bigger than this state?
0: Oh, hallelujah. We got to have, we got to have a kingdom perspective. We got, we've got to see the big picture. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that, that you that you have granted me the liberty to be involved in this work in Africa. And I know, I know that sometimes the questions run through your mind. How are we ever going to have revival here? How are we ever going to? I'm going to tell you how. We just get about the master's business. I just do whatever the king asked me to do for his kingdom, and God's going to take care of everything else. That's all I know.
1: My vision goes beyond this city and this assembly. My vision goes into a kingdom that is spread around this world. Oh, hallelujah we've got to see this we've got to understand this and I'm telling
0: you because this is God's kingdom if at any point we stand up and say no God we're not going there because we've got to take care of things here God's going to say no then we're not going to do anything here either because you're going to work for me and you're going to work for my kingdom this is not about me building a kingdom this is not about my kingdom it's not about your kingdom it's about his kingdom Well, hallelujah. We got to see a bigger picture. We've got to see a bigger picture. We got to see a bigger picture. Listen, listen, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the daughter works. I'm thankful. But listen, the vision goes bigger than that. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I want to start as many churches as I can start around Kansas City, but I'm going to tell you that's not where my vision ends. I want to start churches all over this nation, but that's not where my vision
1: ends. I want to start churches all over this world. I'm praying, God, raise somebody up out of this assembly that'll feel a call for the mission field. God, put it in somebody's heart out of this church. I got a vision of a kingdom that's bigger assembly hallelujah Hallelujah.
0: what is your vision that's the question what is your vision for us to go forward for us to see it fulfilled you've got to have this vision you've got to get a hold of this vision Are you so caught up in the cares of this life and the burden of your family and your problems and the issues that you face that you fail to realize there's something bigger going on? Uh, Esther, the Jews are about to die. Well, I can't go in. I can't go talk to the king. If I go to the king, I might die. Do you see how limited her perspective was? It was only on herself. The message has already been sent to her. Your people are going to die. And her response is, but if I go, I'll die. And even when she finally consented, After asking everybody to fast three days and saying she's going to fast three days, when she finally consented, she still threw in the line that if I perish, I perish. She's still thinking about herself and what's going to happen to her. But there was something bigger than Esther.
1: God didn't make Esther the queen so she could enjoy the dainties. And the niceties and the splendor of the palace. God didn't make Esther the queen so she could dress finer than anybody else. You hear me? God put her in that place because he had his people in mind. And he said, I'm giving you this job so you can take care of a bigger picture than yourself, Esther. hallelujah hallelujah hallelujah
0: I'm trying to help us tonight amen we need to understand we need to understand you may hate that job you're on but you better stop and think did God give you that job
1: for a purpose did God put you in that place because he's got a reason for you to be there
0: Oh, hallelujah. Well, I'm not even, I hadn't got to Africa. I gotta get to Africa. I'm kind of touched on I put my foot on it a little bit. I pointed out in the map there. I talked about Pastor Charles, but I hadn't hadn't talked much about Africa. But right now, right now, we, we need to understand. We need to understand that God is doing something big. One of the first things that, that brother Howard told me as I began to relate to him what had happened after that first trip in June he told me he
1: said brother Riggin this is bigger than anybody realizes
0: Just a month or so later I was talking to somebody else and they said brother Riggin this is bigger than anybody realizes And back in December, when we were in Liberia, as we were there and seeing what God was doing in Liberia, Brother Dudley looked at me and he said, Brother Reagan, this is bigger than anybody realizes. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, I'm telling you, it's time for us to realize. It's
1: time for us to catch this vision. It's time for us to see it. This This is big. This is big. This is big.
0: Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, as we forget about ourselves and our own needs, and we seek first the kingdom of God, we seek first the kingdom of God, God's going to look after this church. God's going to look after our pews. God's going to take care of us. I'm telling you, when we start focusing on the kingdom of God, God's
1: going to start focusing on us. Come on, saints. I'm trying to share with you tonight. I'm trying to help you tonight. God has put his hand on this place. They meant to start something big. God's got big plans. God
0: God's got big plans. And He figured us into those plans. But we can't get our eyes on ourselves. We got to get them on the plans. We got to get them on God's vision. We got to understand that we're
1: we're just part of of God's team and it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us.
0: Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I am telling you i telling you i do not care. I don't care what door God opens. I don't care what door God opens. God knows I'm willing because this is about his kingdom. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about his kingdom. Hallelujah. We got to get that mindset. We got to catch that vision. We've got to understand that we are part not just of a church. We're part of a kingdom that is on the move. In fact, this is what I told the Africans and I'll tell you tonight. We need to see ourselves as a movement. This is a movement. The Spirit of God has focused. He's he's looking. He's starting something. He's doing something. Listen, we are in the last of the last days. It's all coming to a head. It's all about to start shutting down. And God is making an end time sweep. And he put his finger on us. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this. This is too big. We've got to see it from a kingdom perspective. What are you doing? What are you doing to help this movement go forward? Are you so focused on your own situations and your own problems and your own cares? Hallelujah. Or do you see a bigger picture? God, do with me what you want to. You know, God may be letting you go through these struggles and trials because he's trying to get you to really pray. He's trying to get you to really get a hold of him. Queen Esther, when's the last time you fasted? You got all that wonderful food sitting there on the table every day. You got servants bringing it out to you fresh and hot. When's the last time you fasted? I don't know. Well, you're about to. Hallelujah. We can get so caught up in our problems and our cares and our worries and our fears and our troubles and our... That we don't even see there's something bigger here. There's something bigger. And if God has got to bring me down to advance his kingdom, then I'm willing to go down, Lord. Apostle Paul said it this way, I'm willing to spend and be spent. Well, got real quiet on that one. We need a vision that goes beyond where we are and who we are. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I, I'm, I'm almost out of time, and I hadn't even started talking about what's going on over there. But... um. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll come back and teach this as a separate lesson. I, I wanted to go through. I wanted to go through the steps, the steps that I that I see in the book of Acts that 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 they did, the things that they did that caused that movement to go forward. And and and, and maybe I'm gonna have to just save it for another night because um, if if I get into that, I'll never get to Africa. I'll never get it covered. Uh, in fifteen minutes, I know I know so so I guess i 'll just have to save that save it for another night, but it 's really not that difficult it 's really not that hard it 's not that complicated the things that they did in order to further that movement in order to 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 further the kingdom of God hallelujah, praise God amen i i you know, like I said, I really felt, I felt today that God wanted me to begin tonight by, by helping you to lift your sights and understand again. And I know I say it a lot. I know Elder Smith has said it. Elder Taunton has said it. Different ones that have come have said it to the church. But it's important that you hear it over and over and over again, that this is not my work. This is not my calling. It's ours. This church needs to understand that if this is what God wants us focusing on right now, then God will take care of the church. We need to take care of what God is wanting taken care of right now. So we got to see the big picture. And the big picture is beyond these walls. It's outside of this building. This building is just one small part. But there's a bigger picture, and we've got to see it. And Africa is is a huge part of that picture right now. It's a huge part of that picture. I'm telling you, I'm I'm hearing these reports just as God opened that door for Brother Dudley in Liberia. Um, I'm hearing more and more reports of God doing this same thing in more and more countries. It's, it's phenomenal how this is happening across the continent of Africa right now. God is just finding men here in America and hooking them up with some African and taking them over there and they are having revival and praying people through and baptizing them in Jesus' name all over the continent right now. It's not just what I'm doing. But i am telling you, this is where the focus of God is at the moment. And we've got to get on board with this. We've got, to, we've got to fully get on board with this because it's a part of the big picture. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right, all right. So let me, I promised, well, I guess I didn't promise, but I said that I would try to talk a little bit about what's going on in Africa. So I'm going to try to run through this quickly. I don't think I can get it done in 10 minutes, but maybe 15 or 20. I'll, I'll do my best to make it as quick as I can. I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but, but, but let us understand. we got to look beyond our own families, our own church, our own neighborhood, our own daughter works, our own city, our own state, our own continent, and get our eyes on the kingdom of God. Because if we will seek first the kingdom, God will add everything else we need. All right. So, Liberia, let me back up, tell you about the trip to Liberia, and, and, and I think all of you know how all that came about, but just to fill in the blanks for those who might not, um, there, there was a man by the name of, of Edward Johnson, who is a pastor in Monrovia, the capital city of the country of Liberia, and uh, he had a friend that was stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas, just outside of Junction City, and he came to America to visit his friend there at Fort Riley, and and uh, Sunday rolled around, and uh, his friend took him to church. And Pastor Johnson walked in the church. I don't know what kind of church it was. Don't know, I don't know anything about it. All I know is that they sat there for a while, and Pastor Johnson looked at his friend, and he said, aren't there any churches in America that really know how to worship? Aren't there any churches that, that are more exciting than this? And his friend looked at him, he said, oh, you want exciting? I know where you can find exciting. And so they went to Faith Tabernacle, Junction City, and it was exciting. And Pastor Johnson loved what was going on in that church. Uh, He met Brother Dudley. Brother Dudley assigned one of his men, Brother Charles Bibbs, to start teaching Pastor Johnson a Bible study. He was in uh, the state's going to be here for a few weeks. Uh, Brother Bibbs started teaching this Bible study, showed him the need for baptism in Jesus' name. They baptized him in Jesus' name. If I've got the story correctly, he came up out of the water speaking in tongues. He did not have the Holy Ghost prior to that. Came up out of the water speaking in tongues. Uh, began to talk to Brother Dudley. He said, you've got to come to Liberia. You're going to have to teach this message. We've got to get this. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to spread this to, to my people as well. And uh, so that's how it all began. And Brother Dudley contacted me, let me know what was going on, and, and uh, let me know that he felt like it would, it would be a help to him because of my frequent trips to Africa and because I've dealt with this. I've done these conferences however many times. I think, I think at that point, I had I'd had 10 of these conferences prior to Liberia, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, nine or 10 of them. And, and so he, he knew that You know, I had experience at it, and he told me he felt like it would be good for me to go. I I talked to Pastor Howard about it. I'm submitted to my man of God. I'll be honest with you. I knew that I was having to go back in January. My body was screaming, don't you dare get on another plane in December. I was weary. I was tired. Uh, It was not going to be convenient. Um, But there was something in my spirit that was saying, no, you need to go. You need to go. And so I I sent an email to Bishop Howard and, and said, what do you think? He said, I think you need to go. So I said, yes, sir. Settles the issue. I'm going. And uh, I'm so glad that I did. So glad that I did. Amen. Uh, even though it's taken its toll on me physically, I'm telling you, it was the will of God for me to be there. There's no question in my mind. It was the will of God for me to be there uh, on a number of fronts, a number of things that God showed me. It was his will for me to be there. But, but uh, get, trying to get over there. Now, we, you know, I, I've never been to Liberia. I don't know anybody in Liberia. Um, you don't know what it's like to, to go into a country. I don't think any of you know what this is like, to go into a country and be responsible. One of the things Brother Dudley wanted me to do was to find a place for us to stay while we're there. I've never been to Liberia. I don't know anything about Liberia. I don't know good parts of Monrovia and bad parts of Monrovia. I don't know. I have no clue. But it's my job to find a place for us to stay. So I got online. There's a few tools that I've learned to use in all these trips. And, and uh, you, you learn to kind of look and read the ratings that people give. You know, if you can find a place where Americans have stayed there and they give it good ratings, then that's a pretty good sign that we'll, we'll be okay there. We don't ever look for anything fancy. We don't have the money to stay in the finest and the nicest. So, you know, we try to find something that's, number one, safe, number two, clean, and number three, cheap. Uh, that 's what that 's that's the things that we look for, so and number four has good ratings for everybody else so i found a place, found a place looked like it 's going to be fairly inexpensive and and I got it all booked, got it all taken care of, and uh, we 're scheduled to stay at the the uh, city king apartments, Monrovia all right, so we get on board our plane we 're having to fly um, Kansas City to Atlanta, Atlanta to New York City, New York City to Brussels, Belgium, Brussels, Belgium to uh, Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone to, that's a yeah. So yes, it, it was quite the trip. All right. So uh, all this, we, we're we're on our way on our way through this trip, and and um, everything is okay. We hit a few little snags, and I won't bore you with all the details. Few little snags uh, along the way, but but. We, we, we got there and got things done, and so we're on the last leg of the flight, all right? So you remember all that? There's a test at the end of this. Kansas City, no. Kansas City, Atlanta, Atlanta, New York, New York, Brussels, Brussels, Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone, Monrovia. So we're on the last leg. We are in Sierra Leone. It's just an hour flight from here on over to Monrovia, okay? So we're on the last leg. We've, we've landed. We don't have to get off the plane. It's one of those things you're going to stay on the plane you don't change planes, you go stay there, and uh, you're going to let a few passengers off and pick up a few passengers, and then we fly on to Monrovia from there. Simple process. Well, while we are on the ground, waiting on the plane, the pilot comes on, and he said, folks, uh, we've already let the passengers off, and, and so it's just those of us that have come through uh, now they haven't let on new passengers yet, and we're sitting there, and the pilot comes over and he says, "Look, folks, we've got some mechanical issues, and it's going to take us at least two hours." get this repaired. And we apologize. We're sorry. But it's just the way it is. And so you're just going to have to make yourself comfortable and wait. And uh, so what do you do? You, You can't get off the plane. They won't let you off the plane. So we're stuck on this plane for, according to the pilot, two hours. Just do nothing. Sit there and talk to one another. So we're standing around talking and and uh, I, I hear a conversation, just a row back and, and across the aisle, and I can tell from the conversation that they're Americans. And so I, I turned around, and it's a young man and a young lady. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, these are Americans. We're in Sierra Leone, Africa, and these are Americans, all right? And so what do you do? You strike up a conversation with them, or you try to. And it was like they really didn't want to talk. And so I kept trying. I kept trying. I was trying to make conversation, trying to be. And it wasn't that they were being rude. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm a stranger to them. And they didn't know of anything they could talk about. But I just kept pressing them. I, I don't know why. I just did. And, uh, well, I do know why. But at the time, I didn't know why. And I, I just kept pressing them. And, and so I, I asked them, I said, well, where are you from? She looked at him, and he looked at her, and they kind of rolled their eyes, and they said, well, it's it's all over. I said, well, okay, so where are you living now? Well, our parents are missionaries in Liberia, and um, we've been in the States in college, and we're coming home for the Christmas holidays to be with our parents for a few days. I said, okay, all right, so where are you going to college? Well, they told me, and I said, okay. So well, where where in the states? So, so your parents are missionaries. I said yes. They they were pastors in America, and so we moved around a lot. And I said, okay, where's the last place you lived? They said in a town called Olathe, Kansas. We are in Sierra Leone, Africa. And one row behind me and across the aisle is a young man and a young lady. Who had lived in Olathe, Kansas? I said, "That's where I live." And they looked at me, and I said, "I live right. I live on Sheridan Street, which is 143rd, right across from Havencroft Elementary, right by the." And they're looking at me, and their eyes are big, and they they said, what, "What street did I tell you they lived on? I forget now." It's it's anyhow they live right around the corner from us. We are in Sierra Leone, Africa, and here is a young man, come find out they're a brother and sister, and, and they had lived in this city. And um, they're now in Texas in college, and their parents, as I said, are in Liberia. But anyhow, all of a sudden, the wall came down, and, and there was a, a friendship, a bond that began to develop. And so they asked us, well, where are you staying in Liberia? I said, the City King Apartments. And they looked at me. I said, is it bad? They said, "Um, I don't think you're going to be happy there. I said, okay. Is there something you recommend? They said, well, there is. They said, there is a compound that is built for missionaries, and they have these guest houses all over. the several acres of property. It's all fenced in, and they just have these guest houses where missionaries stay. And said, it's really a very nice place. And said, our family lived there when we first got to Monrovia. She said, Told us the name of the place and said, if if you said anybody, anybody in Monrovia, you tell them the name of the place, anybody knows right where it is. They can take you there. I said, okay. They said, well, uh, they said, you know, just just see, tell them who you are, what you're doing, to see if you can get something. So anyhow, we get to the City King apartments late that well, let me back up. I don't have much time. My time's up. I gotta cut this short. But we we arrived at the airport. When we got to the airport, First thing we did was we had to come through customs. I, well, I, wish I, had, I wish I had an hour to tell you everything. I really do. Because it's, you, you just cannot even imagine what it's like when you walk up and they're trying to help stop the spread of Ebola. And the way they're doing it is they have a, one of these water jugs with a little spigot on it and you stick your hands in there and wash your hands under this water And that's going to help stop Ebola, all right? So anyhow, you go through all that. So we then then we we pass through that, and then we go through customs. And when we get through uh, customs, not customs, but immigration, where you have to show them your visa, show them your passport, as soon as we get through immigration, there is a man standing there. And he said, come with us, come with us. And so we're looking, and he leads us past customs he gets our bags we don't even talk to the customs people we he just ushers us right out of the airport and when we walk out there is a crowd there this is late at night it's pitch black and there is a huge crowd there and they are applauding and they're cheering and they're holding up this banner the apostolic movement of Liberia welcomes you And, and they took our luggage and they put it in this van, and, and they put that big poster up on the back of the van, and, and we start to pull off, and a police car pulls around in front of us, turns his siren on, and for 45 minutes escorts us to our place to stay with the sirens going. Um, we get to the city king apartments and. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, which made me feel bad. It had good reports, and I, anyhow, it was, it was bad. Brother Dudley said, no, we will not be staying here another night. I said, okay. So we don't know what we're going to do. So he uh, asked Brother Johnson, Pastor Johnson, the man that invited us, about this place that these missionaries' kids had told us about. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I think it was his sister works at the place. He said, my sister works there. He said, I'll call her. So he calls her. He tells her, no, so there's nothing open there. There's nothing open there. Brother Dudley said, well, we're not staying here another night. So we stayed that night, got up the next morning, checked out. Uh, we got on the bus. Brother Dudley said, told, asked the driver, said, do you know where this missionary compound is? Oh, yeah, I know the place. Take us there. We're just going to go ask them ourselves. So we did. And to make a long story short, there was one guest house open that would house eight people. The exact number that was in our team. And so we got into that place. Praise God. Thank God. Now, I, I want to tell you, there were a lot of things that were going on. And, and that's part of this whole thing. That's part of what stirred up this message in my heart. is because from the very beginning when we arrived in Liberia, I realized these people have got a big picture. This is not just about a few men hearing the truth and being converted. But from the very beginning, it was the apostolic movement and that's the way they saw it and and they were seeing something i'm telling you this is what stirred me about the work that i'm doing in southern africa and 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 um by the way liberia and zimbabwe are many many miles apart if if you want to look at a map of africa you know the big bulge that comes out on one side that points over towards north america on the bottom of that bulge is where liberia is you come all the way down to the point at the tip is, is South Africa and just above South Africa, is Zimbabwe. So I mean we're talking thousands of miles between the two. All right. So anyhow, but 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 I realize these people have got a big picture. And that's what started all of this in my mind and my heart is I'm realizing this is something that that we haven't gotten in Zimbabwe yet. That they've been thrilled about their own salvation. They've been thrilled about their own revelation, but they've never seen it. From a big picture perspective. But these people in Liberia were seeing it that way. And, and I'm telling you that it was that way. The whole time we was there. We, we, we were there. Here I am using bad English. How did that happen? The whole time we were there. Um, they they would come in. And it didn't matter. They, they didn't try to block uh, anybody coming to us. Talking to us. We, we had Bible study almost um, from can to can't. I mean it was... If we were there in the compound, somebody was there and we were teaching them Bible studies and we were working. I mean, until late in the night. And then we would have the conference. First day of the conference, we got in there and, and started trying to teach. And I'm telling you, we hit against some things, hit some spirits that were that were fighting it. And, and, and I don't like it when that happens. It usually doesn't happen that way. Most of the time when I've gone to Africa, things just explode that first day. It didn't happen this time. And I think it's because the devil saw there's something different going on in Liberia. See the devil, you know, the devil doesn't like it when we get converted, but he hates it when our conversion doesn't stay within ourselves. If you're content to just be converted and never do anything beyond that, the devil's okay with that. So he was fighting. He was fighting. Brother Dudley sent out uh, messages asking people to pray. People started praying. The next morning, we got there and started praying before service, and you could feel the difference. We knew something had broke that day. And I'm telling you, the glory of God met with us. God sent revelation. It was powerful. We baptized uh, that Saturday. We baptized 120 people in in the name of Jesus Christ uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. I got a few pictures of that I can share with you if you want to see them. Beautiful sight. A unusual thing. I'm telling you, it's not easy when the tide is rolling in and there's sand under your feet. And most Africans are scared to death of water. Have you ever been in the water with somebody that's scared of the water? Do you know what that's like? And do you know what that's like if one or two of those somebody's weighs about three times what you weigh? And you're trying to put them under while trying to maintain your own balance because the sand is washing right under your feet and the tide is hitting you upside the head? Yeah, it was quite an experience, I'll tell you. But we baptized 120, saw a number of people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that day, and it just didn't stop there. I'm telling you that from that time, people kept coming to the compound that did not get baptized that Saturday, but they'd been thinking about it. They'd been praying about it. In fact, one man showed up on Monday morning, and and he said, I've got to be baptized, and we were walking down to the ocean so we could baptize him. And so I was walking beside him, and I said, I said, tell me, You didn't get baptized during the conference. What made you change your mind? He said, I'll tell you what made me change my mind. He said, when the conference ended on Saturday, Brother Dudley made the statement, if if you're not convinced yet, think about it, pray about it, and as long as we're here, if you change your mind, you can come see us. He said, so I started praying about it, and he said, the Lord spoke to me. And God said to me, you claim to be a man of my word, but if you're a man of my word, you're going to go down there and submit yourself to those men and let them baptize you in my name. You say, did God really speak to him? I believe he did, because I'm going to tell you what else he said. He pulled Brother Dudley aside. He said, I've got a question for you. We're all home folks, right? He said, I've got a question for you. He said, he said, I need to know if I'm doing right. He said, God's been convicting me. And he said, I've been teaching my ladies, you don't wear pants. He said, I've been teaching my ladies, you don't wear jewelry. You don't wear makeup. He said, am I wrong for saying that? Brother Dudley said, no, you're not wrong. I'm telling you, God's been dealing with those people. God's been preparing their hearts for the truth. We had baptized 120 as of Saturday, but by the time we left on Tuesday night, there were another 15 that got baptized for a total of 135 people that were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, many of them receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. They told us that leading up to that conference, pastors of all kinds of denominations had been meeting once a month just to have prayer. Just to have prayer leading up to that conference. They kept telling one another something big's about to happen. Something big is going on around here. We got to get together. We got to pray. And they were coming together and praying every month. They were spending all day Saturday praying and asking God to help them. And on the last day, they stood up and said, we're not going to stop these prayer meetings. This is a movement that God has begun in this country. And we got to keep getting together. We got to keep coming together. We got to keep praying. Oh, hallelujah. My time is way past up. Uh, there, there, there were so many things that happened during that time. So many things that took place while we were there. Amen. As God began to just open the windows of heaven upon people that were hungry. I think I mentioned to you that that one day during the conference, the vice president of the country, I mean, he's the equivalent. Well, I don't want to He holds the same office as Joe Biden. All right, I I wouldn't insult the man that way, but. but here sitting next to me on the platform in that doctrinal seminar is the vice president of the country. Do you know why he was there? Because those pastors began to feel among themselves this is big. And we need to let our government know that God is starting an apostolic movement in Liberia. So they went to him and invited him to the meeting. He was only able to stay for a few minutes, but he was there. He met us, and when he got ready to leave, he told his team that was with him, said, go back and tell those people I want to see them at my house tonight. And we went to the house of the vice president of Liberia. He has already been chosen. They have term limits just like we do here. Their president cannot serve again. This is her last year to serve. And and, and they're going to be electing a new president. He's already been nominated by his party to run. He, he's gotten the... the, 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 the um, uh, approval and, and the uh, endorsements of all kinds of people to, to become the next president of Liberia. We're sitting there in his home. He's talking to us. He brings out a Bible. said, I want to show you this Bible. It was a Bible given to him by George W. Bush. He said, I want to show you this. It was a long staff that had 10 commandments hand carved in them. George W. Bush gave me this. He began to talk to us. He talked to us about his country, about the problems in his country. And then he said, I want you to pray for me. And We did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. On the last day that we were there, they called us up. Uh, well, no, on Monday, before we left on Tuesday. On Monday, called us back to the church where we'd had our meeting. They called us up front. They, they, they presented Brother Dudley and myself with these shirts that were, were made in Africa uh, with an African design on them. And, and they pronounced upon us names. They said to Brother Dudley that, that in our tongue you are now Bishop uh, Topar, and, and that means strong. He said, we've seen that you are strong. And, and then they called me up and put that, the, the garment on me and said, in, in, in our tongue said, we now are giving you this name, that, that you are Bishop Kali. He said, that means the lion that captures. This is a movement. This is a movement. They presented to us a plaque that was hand-carved. The apostolic movement of Liberia shows its appreciation to Bishop Dudley and Bishop Riggan and, and, and listed everybody that was on the team. It had the seal of Liberia on one side, an eagle to represent America on the other side. Somebody had gone to a lot of trouble, but it said the movement, the apostolic movement, they saw it as bigger than just themselves. Hallelujah. So, and so I'm trying to hurry. I'm, it's already late. I may be missing a few points here, I don't know, but <laughs> um, So let me move on. So, this last trip. All of this is stirring in my heart. All of this is going over in my spirit. There's a movement. You've got to, you've got to instill in these preachers. And you know, this, this was an unusual meeting because I called just a few leaders from every city where I have had converts. I, I had them come together. We had a small group. I don't know, 15, 20 people there. And, and, and just a small group. And I wanted it that way. Um, and, and I talked to them. I said, you know, Jesus invested his time in 12. But his vision went beyond the twelve. And, and I'm investing my time. I'm investing my energy in you. But this vision's got to go beyond you. You've got to see this as a movement. You've got to get beyond just your little church, your, your conversion, your revelation, and see it as something bigger. And so I began to talk to them. I'm telling you, we arrived on a Wednesday at noon. They were at lunch. As soon as lunch was over, we immediately, I immediately began teaching and taught until I don't know what time that night. It was 30, 9 o'clock that night. I probably started at 1 or 1.30 and I taught. But the glory of God met with us. I'm telling you, the power of God was in that place that afternoon. And I knew, I knew God's hand was on this meeting. I knew this was a special encounter. God was doing something very, very specific. And, uh, and so the next day, the next day we went in and, and we we broke up, let the ladies do some teaching for the ladies. And Brother Stevens taught a lesson and, and did a phenomenal job. And then I went back and began to teach some more and begin to talk to them some more about this movement and 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 about about getting a hold of this and i talked to him about paul having a timothy and 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 being able to put it in timothy but he told timothy i want you to take this and commit it to faithful men paul was saying this is not about just you timothy but but you got to commit it to faithful men and then if you read the verse he said he said who shall teach others also this is, this is what Paul, Paul was doing the same thing that I'm trying to get across to this church tonight and I, that I tried to get across to them. Paul said, I'm going to put everything I've got in you but my expectation is that you're going to find somebody that you put it in and, and then, then they're going to find somebody that they put it in. And, 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 and God began to move again. And uh, I, I pointed out to them, I don't have the numbers here. I don't have time to go through it. Give me just a couple of minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this as, as quick as I can, all right? But, 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 but listen, listen, I, I, I gave them the numbers. I sat down, I sat down with a calculator and figured it out what it would take if one person, and I've gone through it some here before, but I've never really carried the numbers all the way out like I did there. But if one person converted one, And then the next year, those two converted two. And the next year, those four converted four. Each year, nobody's winning more than one person. You understand? Do you know? Do you know? This is, you can run the numbers. That if we did that, if one person won one in the first year, and those two won two, and those four won four. Is everybody with me? Everybody's only winning one. Do you know how long it would take to reach the entire population of the world? 33 years. Run the numbers. I did it. I sat down. 33 years. It would be over 8 billion people. I showed them I wish I had the numbers in front of me but it was only like like uh, 12 years and they could reach the entire country of Zimbabwe That's what happens when we have a big picture Hey, it's January. It's the first of the year. I know we're towards the end, but we've still got more than 11 months. I wonder how many of you can get a hold of something that says, before this year is
1: out, I'm going to win somebody.
0: Hey, look, this, I, I ran the numbers 33 years if only one the first year, and only two the next year, and only four. I don't know what the numbers would be if, say, we started with 10 the first year. But we've got to get a bigger picture. We've got to see something bigger than ourselves. Hallelujah. Now, one of the things that I felt like God told me I had to tell them when I got there. I really felt this. I felt so strongly in my spirit that I had to make a statement to them. And it's a statement we all need to know. And that is that you are not truly apostolic unless you are fully apostolic. Does that make any sense? It made sense to me. There's a lot of people that call themselves apostolic. A lot of people that wear that name because we baptize in Jesus' name. We believe in one God. That makes us apostolic. No, it doesn't. To be apostolic is to follow all of the teachings of the apostles. And if you're not following all of the teachings of the apostles, you're not really apostolic. Well... Don't do like they did and start getting tight on me now. That's right. And so I began to show them what the apostles taught, such as, In like manner, also the women, should adorn themselves with shamefacedness and sobriety, not the wearing of gold, pearls, costly array. That's apostolic. That's apostolic. That's what the apostles said. In fact, two apostles, Peter and Paul, both said it. In fact, it's really interesting when you read Peter's writings and Paul's writings, 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, you you compare those two, and they're almost word for word. We've got two witnesses. That's apostolic. So I began to talk to them about what was really apostolic. And, and we can't say we're going to be a part of an apostolic movement unless we become fully apostolic. Well, I'm going to tell you, as I started into that, it got tight. So I didn't get very far into it that night. This is the second night now. didn't get very far into it. But I knew, I knew that one of my purposes for going was to lay it all out to give them the full spectrum of what it really means to be apostolic. I knew in my spirit that's what I had to do. Some of them, you understand, had only heard me teach doctrine. I'd only been to their city one time. They'd never heard anything about separation. And so uh, knowing the little bit of tenseness that I had that second night, knowing that there were some that had heard me teach it that hadn't accepted it yet, I was just not scared, but I was a little anxious about coming in that next day and just laying it all out. But that morning we got up and got ready to leave. I hope you can give me just a couple more minutes here. There's just a couple more things I need to tell you, and then you've heard enough. But, but, but listen to me. I want to just show you how God's hand is in all of this. So, so that next morning we get up. We're getting ready to leave the room. Brother Stevens comes over to my room, and he said, I want you to listen to something they've started using his he, he just he just discovered what some of you were using years ago this app called Voxer some of you were using that years ago it's it kind of makes you think of the old walkie-talkies what it does is you actually record a voice message and then send it and and then you listen to that voice message and then you send them back a voice message it all goes over the internet but it, it sounds like you're talking on a walkie-talkie, and it, that's kind of the, the idea behind it. So anyhow, Brother Stevens just found that and got his people in his church to install Voxer on their phones. He said, if you need to send me a message, send it through Voxer, and that way we can kind of talk back and forth. And it's, it's an immediate thing. You've got the voice message, and send it back. It doesn't cost anything. So, so he's standing in my room. He said, I want you to listen to this Voxer message. It was one of the ladies in the church. Now, I had not told anybody except Brother and Sister Stevens and my wife what I was going to be teaching on that day. This is the third day. Nobody but the four of us knew what I was going to be teaching, that I was going to be teaching on separation. Nobody knew it. But he plays this message, and this lady from his church said, Pastor, I just, I, I feel like I need to pray for you all. I want to pray right now. So she's recording her prayer, and her prayer is, God, bless Brother and Sister Stevens, bless Brother and Sister Riggin, help them today She said, please be with these people as they are taught separation. Nobody, nobody knew what I was going to be teaching. Are you hearing me? I knew then that God was saying, it's in my hands, you just go ahead. So we got there that day and, and the service opened. Can you give me a couple more minutes? Just a couple. Service opened, one of the men opened the service, and he said, I have a question. I want to know about Matthew chapter 7. Here are men that are standing before God saying, we've prophesied in your name, we've done great works in your name, and yet he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He said, I don't want to get to judgment day after doing all these things in Jesus' name and him still saying, I never knew you. Tell me what went wrong with those men. I said, this is a perfect introduction to what I'm about to teach. Because if you know that passage in Matthew 7, the very next thing Jesus explains, here's what he said to those men. He said, depart from me, ye that work. What is iniquity? What is iniquity? It's not just sin. It's lawlessness. It's not following the rules. I said, that's what these men did. Yes, they're baptizing in his name. Yes, they're preaching in his name. Yes, they're casting out devils in his name. But there are rules in God's book that he
1: expects us to follow. And if we don't follow those rules, we're going to stand before him on judgment. And he's going to say, you're workers of iniquity.
0: And the very next thing in Matthew 7 is the kingdom of God is likened to a man which heareth these sayings of mine and do with them. He shall be likened unto a man that builds his house upon a rock. And that whole, that whole parable showing that it's all about obedience to the word, obedience to the word. And I said, whatever you see in the word of God, you have got to obey it. And I felt confident. There's no question God's in this. But I'm telling you, as I started, as I started, one of the men spoke up and started talking, and as he did, a spirit of confusion filled that room. And before I knew it, this one was talking, and this one was talking, and they were shouting questions and saying things and raising, uh, 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 um, not really questions, but arguments. Uh, with, and they wouldn't even let me answer one before they're shouting another one. And it was just confusion reigned. So this is not good. And so I, I tried. I tried to just calm them down and said, we'll deal with this. Give me time. We're going to deal with this. So about that time is lunchtime. So we broke for lunch. So I sat down, and sent a text message. Brother Brandon, Brother Jared, Brother Merriman. I said, guys, I know it's early in the morning for you. I think it was about 6 a.m. here in Kansas. I said, I know it's early in the morning for you, but I need some prayer backup right now. We've got to have God move in here and take care of things. We've got a major problem on our hands. The devil is really trying to destroy this work right now. And so and so I know they began to pray. But they're the only ones that I talked to. I didn't talk to anybody else, didn't send a message to anybody else. And uh, so we went back in, and, and Brother Stevens stepped to the front, and, and he began to try to talk to them, try to appeal to them. Well, before he did, uh, Brother Aaron uh, Nagona, who is from Malawi, um, he asked if he could say something and he stood up and he said, he said, the devil has sent a spirit of confusion into this place and we need to get this under control and we need to hear what the man of God's got to say. And, uh, oh, let me back up. The night before, before I left, the night before, there was another confirmation. One of the young couples... They've only been in one seminar. They've only heard me teach on doctrine. That's all they knew. He came to me at the end of that service that day. We're getting ready to leave. And he shook my hand and he had something in his hand. He said, the Lord spoke this to me and told me you'd know what to do with it. I said, okay. Well, I didn't read it until we got back to the room. Opened it up and and there were two scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number uh, seven. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. as they that must give an account, let me do it with. You. he's got Hebrews 13 and 7 and 17, the two verses that talk about obeying them that have the rule over you. and he, he just told me that God spoke this to me and said, to give it to you that you'd know what to do with it." Now again, they didn't know what I was going to be dealing with that next day. they had no clue, but God did. And God was giving me confirmation all along. But we got in the middle of this fight. So, so Brother Stevens gets in. After lunch, he gets in. And he's trying to talk to him. He's trying to appeal to him. He's, he's weeping. And he calls one of those men up. And he said, I want you to sit right here. And The man sits down in a chair. Brother Stevens gets down on his knees. He said, take your shoes off. Take your socks off. And he had already prepared this during lunch, and nobody knew it. And he brought in a basin of water. And he began to wash that man's feet. And he sobbed and he wept. And I just broke. I, I sobbed. I, I cried. And in my heart, I thought, you know what? As soon as he gets done, I'm going to get up there and do the same thing. But I was, I was weeping. I was broken. And by the time I gained my composure and looked up, that man had already taken the basin, gone outside, thrown the water out, and walked back in. It had not affected him in the least. And I said, we are really up against something here. But I just stepped to the pulpit then and just began to talk began to talk very softly began to appeal to them began to, to try to let them feel the love that was in my heart I'm not here to hurt you I'm here to show you what's really apostolic and slowly God began to speak some peace into the place and I was able to, to gain some more ground that night Well, that night when I got back to the room had, had access again to my email I, I got my email, let me read this to you and I'm going to close, uh, Sister Regan come start playing so I can remember I got to close um, I'm trying to find this. I want to read it to you. Um, yeah. Brother Dudley, Brother Dudley had sent me an email that morning. Nobody had talked to Brother Dudley. Nobody had told Brother Dudley anything. When I got to the room, I had this email for Brother Dudley. It said, Brother Riggin? I've had a real burden for you in prayer this morning. Felt like you have stirred up some very strong spiritual opposition. I saw a host of very intense and angry spirits swarming around you like a hive of hornets that's been disturbed. However, the Lord said, he's with you and you're not to be afraid for his hand is upon you and the enemy shall not hurt you. We will continue in prayer. God bless, Brother Dudley. I'm telling you, when I got that message, I started weeping. I said, God, you know right where I'm at. You know exactly what's going on. You showed that man of God exactly what took place today. I know everything's going to be all right. Can I tell you, when we got back the next morning, God began to move again. I noticed some of them had pulled their wedding rings off. I noticed some of them had already made some changes. One of the men, I sat down with him, and he looked at me, and he said, He ran his finger over his mustache and he said this would already be gone if I'd had a chance to shave yet but I want you to know it's going. Hallelujah. I'm telling you God had done a work in some hearts and we were able to walk away from there very encouraged. I know, I know that some of them We're not going to be able to deal with, but I feel like God showed me who is teachable and who's got a right spirit and who's got a right attitude. And I'm telling you right now, I am more encouraged about the work of God because there are some people there that have got the vision of a movement now. When I got home, one of the pastors sent me a text message. He said, I've already talked to my family. They've all agreed we're getting rid of our television. He sent me another message this morning. He said, I've been reading back over the notes. I'm ready to conquer Africa for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, they're catching it. They're getting it. It's a big picture. It's bigger than what we are. And that's what God wants this church to get. God wants us to see beyond where we are and what we have, and understand he's doing a work that's bigger than any of us realize. Let's stand. I love the Lord tonight.
1: Come on, let's just thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord.